Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Church, all those amazing stories so that we could be inspired um, by what happened and um, what we saw um, in those days. The small group at my previous church, um, I suppose, had this traditional habit when it came to Bible studies. We'd be looking at a particular passage and, uh, of Scripture, and everyone would kind of get their Bibles out, and the person leading the Bible study would say, okay, let's um, go round and read a verse one at a time until we get to the end of the passage. And I know what I've kind of meant to, I was meant to do in those situations. I was meant to kind of refocus, kind of approach it kind of prayerfully, being open to what God wanted to say. But I couldn't find myself helping, kind of working out, okay, which verse am I going to get? And so I'd look in the room and I'd think, okay, there's 10 of us here. We're going to go around in a clockwise direction. I'm eighth in the queue. Okay, that means I've got verse 34. Let's check what verse 34 says. What's my verse? And then you invariably end up and you'd look and, oh, I've got the verse with the obscure Middle Eastern location that I have no idea how to pronounce. And I mention that because it can be a similar thing with our, um, our preaching, our teaching series. Like, we prepare them, but normally Owen prepare, um, allocates the slots. And when you get that email, I have to say, I quite quickly look through, okay, which is my Sunday? What's the pass- what passage have I got? What topic is it dealing with? I know all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and so on. But this time I could do with something maybe a bit straightforward. Uh, This morning's passage is not what I would say straightforward. It's challenging. Last week, Ruth spoke from chapter 4 of Acts on Peter and and John before the Sanhedrin and the authority of Jesus. After that section, the believers pray. And after they pray, the place where they were meeting shakes and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They speak the word of God boldly. Um, But we're going to pick it up from chapter 4, verse 32, and go through to chapter 5, verse 11. Um, If you have your Bible, oh, it's appeared up on the screen. Okay. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at working them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, bought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and and you have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. 
And some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, you are God. Lord, your ways are mysterious, but we know you are good and that we can trust you and we can have faith in you. Um, Lord, I, I pray um, for your truth to reign this morning, Lord. I pray against any lies, um, any, any doubt. And Lord, I pray that our hearts will be open to, to what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I think we're going to watch a brief clip. That was a clip of African drumming. Now, you'll probably be quite surprised to hear this. Hopefully not too surprised, but I imagine quite surprised. But I actually do a bit of African drumming. Um, this isn't my pitch to join the worship team, so Matt, Matt shouldn't be worried and you shouldn't be worried, more importantly. Uh, we have a specialist teacher who comes into my school and does um, African drumming lessons. And when she does that, the, the class teachers have to get involved as well. Uh, my wife, Emma, who has seen me dance and fully understands my lack of rhythm, finds it hilarious that I take part in this. And many years ago, I actually had a, um, someone brought a prophetic word that used imagery around drumming. And Emma was like, what, you, <laughs> drumming? She couldn't quite reconcile it. Um, when I first started the lessons, taking part in the lessons, honestly, I was useless. I'm not saying that I'm great now, but I was completely useless. And anything could have been happening. And I would have been like, sounding great, guys. It's brilliant. It's fantastic. But over time, as I got improved a bit, I began to notice um, more and more when things weren't quite working, when things were a little bit out of time. Still not perfect, but it takes the drumming, the, the teacher, Sandra, to point it out. And she's always saying to us, oh, you need to be in time. It's really important. Um, in that clip, you probably get, even just from the visuals, you probably get a sense of, how incredible it was, the timing that they had, and um, the unity they had. And unity is a powerful and even beautiful thing. We have lots of musicians here who experience playing music as part of a band. Um, you may have been in a sports team that has kind of been really united in going towards um, winning a game. Or even in the workplace, you may have been in a well-functioning team that kind of stro um, strove towards a common goal. When you experience unity you realise how precious it is. And it's precious and it's wonderful because ultimately it points to God. God has existed since eternity in perfect unity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, we can also experience the opposite. Situations and environments where there is discord, division, disunity. When you're in an environment like that, how you crave to experience true unity again. Um, what is described at the end of chapter 4 is powerful. All the believers were in one heart and mind. There was no needy person among them, and people are selling their lands and, um, and their homes and distributing the money out. Wow. 
I prepared this talk, um, prepared a bit of this talk in a cafe um, a week or so ago, and they had a, had a poster on the wall of um, John Lennon and some of his lyrics from that, um, that um, famous song, Imagine. And one verse in there says, Imagine no possessions, I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all, all the world. If you're not careful, you can get caught up in a sentiment of a song like that. But the reality is it's not biblical. The Bible teaches us that possessions are not bad in and of themselves. Wealth, money, not bad. It's our attitude to them that is key and what we need to be wary of. So what we see here is not people giving away possessions because they think, I've come to know the Lord, I need to get rid of this stuff. It's because, or trying to make themselves right before God, is because God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, they were like, God, your grace is so amazing, how can I use what you have given me to bless others? And what's true for them is true for us. That doesn't necessarily mean we have to sell our homes, but the principle holds. How can I use what God has given me to bless others? So, coming to look at chapter 5. So when we come to look at it, and honestly, it is challenging, we have to have it clear in our heads, clear in our hearts, how important unity is, how significant it is for God, and what an incredible thing is happening here in the early church, this unity that they were experiencing. It reflects the nature of our God, and when God's people are united, others are blessed and needs are met. When we get that, or begin to get it, it's not as much of a leap to see that God will protect unity and God should protect unity. The actions of Ananias and Sapphira sought to undermine it. Just a few quick points about um, what we, they did before we look at some application. They were under no obligation to sell the land. It wasn't an obligation. Peter makes that clear in verse 4. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal, he tells Ananias? Their standing before God wouldn't have changed either way. What the believers were doing at this time, it was a response to his grace, not a way of earning it. Verse 2 makes it clear that there is an agreement between this couple in the deception. Um, it says that the wife did it with full knowledge that Ananias did it. Um, also, the only other time this word, the Greek word for kept back is used in the Bible, it's in the Greek version of the Old Testament. It's when a guy called Achan kept back some devoted things from God, and he also received a death sentence. Um, the only other thing I'd mention about it is it's not clear from the passage whether these were genuine believers or not. It's just not clear. We don't know whether they were genuine believers and they just got caught up in this, um, this sin, or actually they were kind of portraying themselves as believers or not. And I have to be upfront. It is difficult to completely understand um, everything about this episode. Why, in this instance, God dealt with this people's sin in this way when other people's sins are not. But here are a few thoughts. As I've already said, God loves unity, is a reflection of who he is. Also, it's worth noting that the Holy Spirit is working powerfully at this time in the early church. Um, it's powerfully present in the community, and it's bringing this incredible unity of fellowship. And the actions of Ananias and Sapphira would have provoked distrust and disunity. And we also need to see where this um, stems from, this lie stems from, and it's from the enemy. Why has Satan 
filled your hearts to lie. So if God loves unity and knows how important it is for the church to fulfill its mission, it's not so much of a surprise to think that maybe a tactic of the enemy is to sow disunity among the people of God. So let us be wary, let us be prayerful so we can pursue unity together. Even though there are aspects, as I said, that are hard to understand, difficult to comprehend, at the very least we can say that God is not indifferent to sin and we shouldn't grieve the Holy Spirit. Peter says to Ananias, you have not just lied to humans, but to God. It is crucial that we realise that. No, we know that we're not going to be made perfect until Jesus comes again and that sanctification, the Holy Spirit making us more and more righteous, is an ongoing process. But what is our attitude to our sin? Are we only upset about the consequences it can bring in our lives? Or the pain it brings others? Or do we ultimately see that it dishonours God? God is not indifferent to our sin. It's also important that we reflect on how we relate to God and how we view him. The theme of judgment is strong here. We like to think of God as our comforter, our friend, or our provider. Do we see him as the one who will send his son to judge the world? If you struggle with this idea, and we can struggle with it, it's worth us thinking about why we may do that. There's a Croatian theologian called Miroslav Volf, and he, he addresses it in a book he wrote called Exclusion and Embrace. He argues that in the West, it is easier to believe that God does not judge because our lives are relatively comfortable. It's not to say that here in the, in, here in the West or in Western societies we cannot um, experience difficulty or pain or hardship, but relatively speaking, we are privileged. And um, he has this great phrase. He says, it takes the quiet of a suburban home for this mistaken belief to grow that God does not judge or will not judge. Those, though, who have been victimised have been oppressed and marginalised, don't have such an issue with God as judge. In fact, knowing that he is can break the cycle of sin, Help, and it helps us to forgive. You can forgive your oppressors and not retaliate, because one day you know Jesus is coming again. And it's important to reflect on the cross at that point, that we can come to the cross and think about any pain we have suffered any way we have been wronged and think Jesus took that all on himself. All the sin of the world was put on Jesus for us. And actually, it's that that gives us the power to forgive. I think a photo is going to come up on the screen now, hopefully. Okay, you may have seen this in the news recently. Um, I'll read a bit from the accompanying um, BBC article. A US college student has made sure her graduation snaps are ones to remember. After posing in her cap and sash with a 14-foot, 4-metre alligator. Mackenzie Noland is a student at Texas A&M University who will graduate on Friday with a degree in wildlife and fisheries sciences. The senior has been interning at Bowman Rescue Centre, which is home to about 450 alligators, crocodiles and other reptiles. But it's big text that steals the show our gargantuan alligator who was adopted in 2016 after overfeeding turned him into a nuisance for local boats. Now, I look at that photo and I think it's not a good idea to get that close to any kind of alligator, let alone one that has a history of overeating. Uh, 
The passage um, ends today with verse um, 11 that says, Great fear has seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. You can read that verse thinking, oh, there's been this amazing fellowship. And then this sin of Ananias and Sapphira, and the per- they, they died, and now how awful great fear has seized the church. Um, but sometimes it's good to have a healthy fear of things. 14-foot alligators are a case in point. Um, and I don't think at this time it's a great, it's a bad thing that fear has seized the church and the surrounding areas. Um, confession time, as I was preparing this talk this week, I had those moments when I thought, ooh, be tempting to maybe gloss over or dilute down some of the challenging aspects of this passage. But I just had that prompting every now and then that, oh, God is holy. He is holy. He is mighty. And I thought, oh, I don't think I want to be glossing over anything at all. It says in Proverbs, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If you want to develop wisdom, fear the Lord. If you want understanding, grow in knowledge of the Holy One. What does that mean? If you're a Christian here, your salvation is secure. Nothing's going to take that away. God loves you. You're a son or daughter of the Holy One. But at the same time, don't take that lightly. And don't take him lightly. There's a famous section from The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, that fantastic book by C.S. Lewis. And as we know in the books, like Aslan's kind of representing Jesus. And there's this passage that says, um, I think Susan's in conversation with uh, Mr. Beaver, and it goes like this. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall rather feel nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Our unity is based on the cross. Jesus crucified for our sins, and our unity is sustained by the Holy Spirit. And as we've seen from this tale of Ananias and Sapphira's deceit, God cares deeply about it. But God's judgment... And our reverent fear of him must be seen through the lens of the cross. God so loved us that in his wrath was poured out on his son Jesus. And because of Jesus, we are clothed in righteousness. Because of the cross, we can approach this mighty, holy God with confidence. If you think how amazing that is, how holy, how pure he is, that we can come before him and know that he sees us as righteous. So let's pursue and cultivate unity. Let's continue to pray that the Holy Spirit manifests itself at Beacon. Let not, let's not shape God in our image or shape him as what we are comfortable with. Let's see him in all his glory and let him shape us. And to end, I know it's been a bit shorter today, but um, don't let seeing God as this mighty holy one and someone who ultimately will send his son to judge the world again, uh, um, or having a healthy fear of him stifle your worship, actually. It's something that should enrich it. It's something that should deepen it, knowing that, actually, what he has done for me, what Jesus has done to make a way for me to approach him, 
is, a, is incredible. And I think we can, I know I can often come to worship. I did it this morning with my own distractions, my own worries. But the best thing to do sometimes is, God cares about your worries, but actually to fix your eyes on him, and he brings perspective to those worries and those concerns you're having. Verse 11 says that not only did great fear seize the church, but all who heard about these events. The area around us needs to know that the living God is holy and mighty. I personally don't think the best idea is to buy yourself a megaphone and stand outside Brixton Tube delivering one of those fire and brimstone preachers, but there is something about when we come to worship, cultivating that reverence of God and that healthy fear of him. And actually, that's a really good place to start, that are we recognising his magnificence? Um, I'm just going um, to just pray to end. Heavenly Father, we um, come before you and we, we recognise the power of your word. We recognise that um, you speak truth to us, and it's truth not to condemn, but it's the truth that edifies. And it's a truth that sanctifies, and it's a truth that f- makes Christ formed in us in greater measure. And Lord, we thank you for um, the fact that all scripture should be viewed through the lens of the cross. The fact that you love the world so much that you sent your son um, to die, um, to take on um, your judgment so that we can approach you with confidence, Lord. And we thank you for that amazing truth that there is not a barrier between us anymore. But Lord, we do also recognize your mysteries and that there is a day when your son will come again to judge the world. And Lord, we don't want to neglect uh, aspects of your character. We want to see you in all your glory, all your might, and all your holiness. And Lord, we want people around, in the area around us, to know that there is this holy, mighty, living God who loves them. He sent his son to die for them. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.